Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I'm Dave Delaney. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last several months. Uh, A big revelation was found. I have ADHD, and that explains a whole lot. And of course, naturally, as a veteran podcaster, I started another podcast all about it, and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. So I started going to a coffee shop that didn't have Wi-Fi. And so at this coffee shop, I could get a lot of work done. Mm-hmm. Um, I would basically, uh, you know, sit down a couple hours later. Uh, I would just get so much done. And so uh, one day that coffee shop turned on Wi-Fi and it ruined my sort of strategy. And I said, well, if we're never going to be able to get away from Wi-Fi, then how are we going to be able to, to fight back? And so what I did is I built the first version of Freedom, which was basically a button that you pressed on your Mac computer that locked you offline for 45 minutes. Nice. 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 Nice Welcome to the Nice Podcast, all about communication, collaboration, and becoming better leaders. I'm your host, Dave Delaney from Future Forth, where we help you retain talent and improve culture and communication so you have happier, more connected teams. Today, I'm speaking with Fred Stutzman. Fred is the founder and CEO of Freedom, uh, which is software that helps you be more focused and productive by blocking distractions. And I will straight away say that I'm also a customer and, uh, and love this. This is part of the reason why we're talking today. So with that, Fred, welcome to NICE. Thanks for having me on, Dave. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you for, for joining me. So first question, I always like to kick things off with, with the same question, which is, what is the nicest thing someone has done for you recently? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, recently, um, uh, my Tuesdays are, so we're, we're recording this on a Wednesday and my Tuesdays are just all days, uh, meetings. Mm. And, um, I had forgotten my lunch and like, there, there's no time to go out and get lunch. And my wife brought me lunch. So uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a simple thing. Um, but Holy cow, it really, uh, it really saved the day. Spouse to the rescue. I, I, totally. I, I have to say, honestly, like the majority of the answers are spouses doing something, <laughs> something amazing. Uh, and yeah. God knows I could, I could fill in the blanks over and over with my wife putting up with yeah. my, uh, my shenanigans. So that's great. So yeah, I, I, I've wanted to have you on for a little while to talk about, you know, leadership and, and then obviously communication. Uh, talk to me a little bit about um, well, I guess, first of all, let's go ahead and maybe share the uh, the quick elevator pitch of what Freedom is. And then mm-hmm. I'd like to learn a little bit more about uh, the company itself and, and how you run it. And then we'll get into the into the weeds on, on why why people might consider something like this. <laughs> sure, sure. So, um, yeah, I guess Freedom is uh, a company that was never intended to be a company. Um, <laughs> then the backstory kind of it goes back to uh, when I was in graduate school. I was on a career track to uh, become uh, a researcher slash professor. Um, I was studying social media and um, information technology more broadly. And so I 
notice how much time people were spending on social media and how that was affecting their lives. Mm. And so I built a, a simple tool. It was just a, a little Mac app that uh, locked you offline for 45 minutes. <laughs> and uh, I gave it away for free, um, you know, put it on my website, shared it, and it went viral. And um, over the course of a couple of years, people started asking me for features and enhancements and, oh, make a, you know, make a Windows version, make a mobile version. And uh, I eventually started doing those things in my, my um, you know, sort of nights and weekends time. And uh, eventually it got to the point where I said, um, you know, this is a high impact problem. It's a, it's a really, um, it's a, it's a growing problem, and it uh, really aligns with my interest, which is building software that helps people. Mm. Uh, and so um, it became a company. And in 2015, uh, we launched and built a uh, essentially a cross-platform service that allows you to block distractions across all your devices. And really the, 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 the pitch is like one button and turn off all the noise on all your devices so you can uh, really sit down and relax. And, you know, that's Mac, Windows, iOS, Android, Chrome, you know, you have it. We've got it covered. And, um, yeah, we, we've grown from just myself to uh, now we're over 25 people uh, spread all over the world. That's great. Yeah, I love that. So would you consider yourself, you know, a like a, a professor first, a researcher first, a developer first? Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I've, I've started a few companies. So I think the thing that gets me really excited is um, finding an area that is kind of emergent as a problem mm. in, in, in a problem that is specifically like at the sort of human computer interface level, like, mm. you know, things that are changing that are going to force us to rethink how we interact with our devices um, and building solutions for that. And so research was a really great place to do that. But the downside of research is you basically build your tool, you you go and present it and then you put it on the shelf. And, um, my problem is like putting it on the shelf. Like if I'm going to build something, I want to, I get behind it. And I think that is ultimately sort of what led me to realize that I didn't want to stay on that path. But, mm. um, that path is, a, is, is, uh, the skills you learn researching, studying, you know, all of that is very applicable in my day job. So I still sort of wear that hat a little bit, but you know, I'm not teaching students. Yeah. And I know what you mean with that too, with, with the idea of, of, you know, going all in on something and then, and then, uh, yeah. And shelving it ultimately, as, as you're saying, like, so, so creating a paper in, or papers in your case, or, or even, um, you know, as an early adopter myself of, of social media, like I remember when Twitter had competitors back in the day and, and I was a big fan of Foursquare in its, in its earliest, uh, iterations as well. And so, uh, we're talking, back 07, 08 or something. Mm -hmm. And, and, and back then, uh, like Google acquired a Twitter competitor called Jaiku and they also mm -hmm. acquired, uh, I think it was Dodgeball, which was whatever, yep. uh, uh, Foursquare was before that. Yep. And I got really excited as just a geeky kind of community person who loves technology, but also who loves connecting with people. I got really excited about the, the prospect of, of kind of microblogging, like mm -hmm. while you're, but, but heavily with a location base, uh, mm -hmm. uh, approach. And of course this is way before, uh, privacy concerns and, and uh, dangerous, uh, algorithms and, and all of the, all of that. Um, so, uh, yeah. And they shelved both. Yeah. They bought them and shelved them and right. never heard about them again. And I was just like, yeah. oh man, 
Uh, yeah, that yeah. was that was an exciting time. There was so much. There was so much going on, and that was when I was starting these studies. Is um, yeah, when all of this was happening, and uh, it really it really felt like there was a new era. And certainly, I mean, it's proven itself out. I mean, yeah, the world is connected. Uh, it's had you know. There's been a lot of good that's come in a lot of bad, and it's it's mm. interesting. Yeah, you wrote a paper or a study in uh, 2006 called "An Evaluation of Identity Sharing Behavior in Social Network Communities." So, mm -hmm. right there, what was the what was the kind of finding from that from that? Because we're talking 2006, so that's like yeah. Twitter launched in 2006, and Facebook wasn't open to the public yet. I don't think. Yeah, it's a very academic sounding title, but really all. <laughs> what we did is we just looked at um, we looked at how much people were sharing, and so yeah, that that um, study was on Facebook b before Facebook was generally available. Mm. Uh, and I mean, the thing that um, came out of those studies was it was just a tremendous amount of sharing of information into a sort of semi-public area, mm. and um, that was new. Uh, that was absolutely new, and um, did spark a lot of the thought. Uh, you know, we were doing um, kind of two types of research. One was like activity. How much mm -hmm. time are people spending on uh, these sort of new forms of technology? And the other was like privacy, which is you know, what are they sharing? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's it's like nowadays we don't think twice about it. But at the time, it was really, really a shocking finding to um, – to find, oh, people are sharing all their personal information, their relationship status, uh, oh, and they're spending like six hours a day on this stuff. Um, it was uh, really bolt, bolt of lightning stuff to researchers to find an effect that big. So, yeah, that, that paper was one of the earliest papers in the space that documented it. But, you know, I could have, uh, I could have, uh, chosen a more de descriptive, uh, title to it. <laughs> <laughs> where, what well, at the time, where, what were your mind, like, where was your mind at as it pertains to privacy? Cause I know like, especially back then, like Jeff Jarvis was quite a, uh, I think he had a book called private parts or something, or that, mm -hmm. that might've been Howard Stern as well. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, a good one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but I think he sort of downplayed to an extent, the concerns for privacy with the, with the, and making a great case mm -hmm. that if, if the results of this is I start seeing advertisements of things I'm actually interested in, then that's a good thing. And, and it's happened yep. to me. Like, I, you know, it happens to all of us these days, but you see ads for a, uh, like for me, uh, a comedian was coming to Nashville where I live and I would never have known he was coming here had I not seen an ad. Um, yep. and I bought tickets. So it was a win-win. So what, what are your thoughts on, on privacy from back then maybe compared to now? Yeah. That, well, that was such an interesting time. And actually, that launched my first company. So uh, I, I guess like the, the things that we saw kind of launched a few companies. When we were doing those studies and looking at how much people were sharing about themselves, I got connected into uh, this sort of community of people working on sort of the future of identity on the internet. So like Doc Searles, Dave Weinberger, uh, Phil Windley, mm. they had these conferences called the Internet Identity Workshops, which were just super, super fascinating. And, um, you know, we were looking at like all of the sharing that was going on. And then, you know, what does that mean to sort of be creating your identity online? Um, you know, before it was like, uh, if you had a homepage, like, you know, that would be your online identity and you could share, but like not that many people had homepages versus everyone at, you know, UNC Chapel Hill had a Facebook page mm. and was sharing a ton of information publicly. So we knew there was this, this change. Um, 
And so the 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 thinking kind of led me to, you know, if we're going to be putting all this information out there publicly, uh, how do we claim it and how do we use it and how do we sort of leverage it? And so uh, myself and a, a fellow graduate student, Terrell Russell, built a service called Claim ID. And Claim ID allowed you to uh, basically claim all of the information that's uh, about you online and then use it as an identity provider, which was like logging into things. So an early version of single sign-on. Mm. Um, you know, and like that's been, uh, that whole space has been like, you know, won by Facebook and Google and, you know, a couple of auth providers, but, uh, it was this kind of wild west at the time where it's like, oh, you could really actually build this social identity, mm. um, and, uh, and, and of course, all of that was built on the fact that like people were sharing all this stuff publicly. Um, and, you know, to, to where, to where my head was back then, you know, I didn't, I didn't see all the problems. I think, you know, I had sort of the rose colored glasses around, you know, I mean, there are certainly problems with sharing deeply personal information that can be screenshotted and come back to you. But like, I was like, well, there's a, there's really an interesting phenomenon going on. Can we like leverage it and give people more power and sort of more control? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, clearly, uh, sharing all the information um, has some benefits. Uh, it also has some drawbacks, and you know, like having a lot of information out there in databases that we don't control is a is a you know set of problems. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, at the time, you know, it was it was really this kind of wild west. And yeah. again, another one of these problems that was like, okay, you know, this stuff is out there. How are people going to control it? And um, and uh, so that sparked a lot of thought. It's a good analogy of the Wild West or, or almost like Westworld in a way, I guess, because it was like the Wild West without all the guns and things and all the violence. It was like, yeah, <laughs> it was group, you know, hugs. And I mean, in my book, yeah. I wrote about social in the early days and how, yeah, it was like, uh, like I used to organize pod camps and bar camps and tweet ups, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, where you would meet your Twitter friends in person and buy each other a beer and have a great time. And it was the yeah. early days of like the podcast. I had a podcast in 05. And so podcasting conferences and, and events and things. And it was just really this kind of kumbaya vibe. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I almost say Westworld because there was probably some dark people <laughs> scheming like in a kind of Mr. Burns kind of rubbing his hands. Uh, <laughs> um, totally. and I, I do remember attending uh, a tech conference in Seattle, kind of a small conference. And there was a speaker whose name slips my mind, but he actually, he was talking about privacy as it pertained, I think to Twitter at the time. And he, and he started calling out people in the audience. So he had researched the attendees through social mm -hmm. before and he and then he posted like during the presentation he would post like a photo of someone's backyard saying you really need to mow that yard from google earth mm -hmm. or or you know your your kids are really cute in the in the you know non creepy way but and but i think there was a certain level of like cognitive dissonance where most of us were like uh did not see that did not see that did not yeah. see that back to twitter yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so so tell me about like uh how how freedom kind of came and, and, uh, freedom, your company and, and, mm -hmm. and, and software, uh, tell me how that was kind of born and, and, uh, came together. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the sort of gestation of it came from the, basically this point where I was about to graduate from, uh, graduate school mm. and I had just had, um, we just had our first son. 
Mm. And um, I, I was, I was sort of like on a little bit of a longer path in graduate school than I expected. I think I still, it was like five years, but I was like, towards the end, I was like, I was not as focused as I had liked to be. So, mm. um, but I was like, oh, I need to get a job and I need to <laughs> get my life in order. Mm-hmm. So um, I was basically, because I was studying social media, I was like, basically allowed to spend a lot of time on social media and like that was not doing great for you know getting my work done right so i started going to a coffee shop that uh didn't have um didn't have wi-fi and so uh at this coffee shop uh i could get a lot of work done Mm -hmm. um i would basically um i would basically uh you know sit down a couple hours later and i would just get uh i would just get so much done and so uh long story short uh, one day that coffee shop turned on Wi-Fi and it ruined my uh, ruined my sort of strategy. And I said, well, if we're never going to be able to get away from Wi-Fi, then how are we going to, you know, basically how are we going to be able to, um, to fight back? And mm. so what I did is I built the first version of Freedom, which was basically a button that you pressed on your mm. Mac computer that, um, that locked you offline for 45 minutes and uh, put it online, gave it away, and uh, yeah, it became – it sort of went viral. And the reason it went viral um, – and I didn't know any of this at the time, but you know, sort of analyzing it after, I figured um, the reason it went viral was because writers picked it up. And mm. writers love to write about stuff. And so the moment, uh, you know, basically the moment that uh, they got a, um, you know, they got a new, uh, a new trick that would essentially help them uh, with their writing, they wrote about it and shared it. And mm. so it became, uh, it became viral. And, um, and yeah, you know, for a number of years, I, um, you know, just kind of rolled with it and uh, didn't really do much with it. I just thought it was kind of a, a neat gimmick. And I had done a couple other things like this. You know, it wasn't the first software I'd written. So, you know, I was just like, okay, whatever. And um, and the, the funny thing about it becoming a business is the thing that I thought was going to prevent it from becoming a business actually made it a business. And that was... I had the um, I had all these people who were writing me saying, you know, make it for Windows. And I said, uh, well, if I'm going to make it for Windows, I'm going to have to charge for it. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was like, well, if I charge for it, no one's going to pay for it. And so the problem solved. And so mm-hmm. I, t- I remember I went to my advisor. I said, I need to take a week off and uh, I need to, you know, learn how to code for Windows. I'd never been a Windows programmer um, and I need to write this thing in windows. And so I did it and I put it online and I started charging for it and people started paying <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, uh, you know, then more and more started, people started paying and I said, Oh, well, <laughs> there's something here. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, that just, that just kind of became, you know, a, a nights and weekends business at that point. It's such a cool tool. Um, you know, and it kind of, you know, functions, Really like a, like a VPN, right? Where mm-hmm. it just kind of accept bl- instead of like it's spoofing an IP, it block it just blocks uh, access, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it can do. Uh, it's got so many features now. I have a hard time keeping track of them. But yeah, basically, you know, block websites, block email, block apps, notifications. Um, you know, the the thing that uh, I've learned over the past couple of years is that everybody has a distraction and, you know, that thing may be the news, it may be sports, it may be social. Um, but if you can, uh, you know, 
create some time where you promise yourself you're going to be focused and you don't have those distractions coming in. Mm. Uh, number one, the world doesn't end while you're off, you know, doing your writing or your research or whatever for an hour or two. Yeah. And uh, you just get higher quality work done. And that's, I think that's what drives us in the company is basically knowing that we're uh, a partner to people as they do the the really important things in the world. And um, it's just, it's just so cool. Like that's the impact we want to have. Yeah. Yeah. And you said, so it, you mentioned something that was interesting that resonated with me too, both as a writer, but also uh, having run social media for companies over the years as an employee and also consulting and coaching as well, even um, when you work in social media and you're, you know, so you're using social networks to promote your business and so on, yep. you are literally participating in social media. And if you're doing it right, uh, at the same time, you're going to be really distracted because there's no way to avoid falling down those rabbit holes. So I'm curious, you know, you're, you're leading a company with 30 employees. Are, do you have like forced freedom blocks on your servers <laughs> or, or tell me about how your own team, because by the way, I mean, while this is such a great product and a great service, yeah. it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like it to me, it's a little bit, uh, not a little similar to like mindfulness and meditation where mm -hmm. you know you should do it or most people know they should do it but like actually yeah. practicing it is a whole different thing so tell me about like how it works uh, at your at your company uh because you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're dealing with social media i mean that's literally what you're working on so tell me about that i the um the 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 one regret I have is that uh, so I run a lot of freedom sessions and but mm -hmm. they're because I'm constantly testing the product and you know, yeah and and um, the the one thing that I've you know lost as the company has grown is my ability to really block off that time and do work and I I struggle with this um, mm -hmm. because there's so much meetings and more of the sort of ad hoc communication that needs to happen. And I, I, I try. So I have like Wednesdays. So today I don't do meetings. Um, and I have a two hour session in the morning where I, you know, there's no interruptions. I focus and I just block everything and, uh, work on some tasks. Yeah. Um, within the team, I know, uh, people have different uses of freedom and, you know, there's a, there is a challenge because we're always testing it, um, that, uh, you know, it's, um, it's not always being used for, uh, focus, but there are uh, a number of people within the team who are heavy freedom users and they do find that time to focus. And so, you know, it's one of these things that you're right. You can't force it on people. Um, we've taken a pretty strong stance that uh, things like, you know, uh, net nanny type of big brother tools that block and um, track you like that's just mm. not our that's not our values. And, and we don't build those kind of tools. Yeah, um, we do build tools that, you know, basically allow you to have control. And so, you know, our tools are basically opt in. They're non tracking. There's, you know, there's no data back end aspect of it, um, which, you know, from a business decision is, uh, you know, maybe not the best, but uh, it's how we feel, you know, you should be treated. It's a product you pay for and you get value for and we don't, um, 
You know, we don't do anything with your data. Now, I think there are things that you can do, and we talk about this within the company, um, to motivate people towards focus time. Mm. And that is, you know, it's like gamification type things. You could imagine leaderboards, um, having uh, synchronizations within Slack or something like that to let people know that you're offline or you're working on something. I mean, I think like the... The answer is not necessarily it's a, a tool. Like freedom is is uh, is going to help you get there, but it's not going to get you there. You know the the whole way. Like you've got to think about what do I want to get done? How, when am I going to do it? When am I going to find the right the right environment to do it? Mm-hmm. And then really commit to that. And like that's a that's a hard thing for people in general. Just as going to, you know doing work is hard. Just as you know going to the gym or you know any other hard task. And so. I think when we analyze the amount of time that a knowledge worker, you know, somebody who's got some level of management responsibilities, you know, these people are lucky if they get two to three hours of work time a day because so much of their time is on that manager schedule. They're in meetings. Um, and so if you can take those two hours a day and make them higher quality, I think there's a lot of value add there. I think that's our challenge. We haven't figured it out yet. You know, mm-hmm. the thing about having a product that is uh, primarily consumer is a lot of people who have already sort of gone over that, um, you know, made that decision internally are our customers. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. hard to force it on people, you know, just like it's hard to force people to go to the gym. Uh, so, you know, but as we push into the enterprise, you know, there's a, there's a lot of thinking about ways to to do that, to incentivize use in ways that, you know, are, um, you know, not that uh, top-down draconian. Mm-hmm. And, and you've done some work with, uh, uh, like, Tristan Harris from the Center for Humane Tech. Is that correct? Or have you done? Yeah, we've... we've. Um, I really love what they're doing. Partners with them and we support them. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, love to... We've had... Uh, had them on the podcast and you know that's that's a great organization and um you know they do a lot of things uh like their ai talk (laughs) people should really watch that um you know and that's a whole other set of uh, conversations but um yeah like uh yeah absolutely i mean they're they were uh one of the earliest organizations really sort of uh, raising awareness of the problem of distraction. And, uh, that was, uh, something that was great. Yeah. I almost see like, when you mentioned that I almost pictured like 2001 where like freedom is the button and the AI is, <laughs> so yeah. I was like, what are you doing, Dave? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to, to turn it, turn off the, uh, turn off the internet. Um, <gasps> Well, being a researcher, I'm sure, uh, you know, and you did bring it up. So let, let's talk a little bit about AI. What, where, what are your thoughts on, uh, on where we're at right now? I know it's, I know there's a lot of, a lot of crystal balls, but nobody actually has one, but, but, but there are all the smartest people I follow, uh, are raising a lot of flag, uh, red flags, uh, about sort of the future with AI, uh, not everybody, but a lot of people. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I um I, I was just at a conference which was like supposedly about this one thing, but like basically everybody just talked about AI for most mm-hmm. of the conference. Mm-hmm. Um and Sam Altman talked at the conference, so that was actually quite interesting. Yeah. Um the CEO of OpenAI. Yeah. Um and uh so uh that was 
Yeah, it was actually kind of mind-blowing. Um, the thing that was mind-blowing was just the degree to which people are uh, concerned about AI. And, um, you know, to the extent which, you know, AI is talked about like it is some, you know, nuclear bomb. Mm. And it's, it's kind of interesting because the area that I studied, it's this area called, well, I, my PhD is in information science. And mm. our, um, our school basically did two things. One was like human computer interaction, which is the stuff that I was in. And then the other is information retrieval, which is like search. And mm-hmm. search is heavily AI. And so I've seen the work in this community for, you know, 20 years now. And, um, you know, the, the rate of change, I think, is not is not exponential. <laughs> um, you know, I've seen these tools, uh, GPT, um, and versions of it for many years now. And so, um, as somebody who's been in the community, I'm I'm a little less. I, I guess maybe I'm a little less alarmed. Um, what I do think is uh, scary, if we want to talk about what's scary, is the reasoning ability and um, the the way in which conversations can be matched. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. You know, I'm, you know, my, my worst case scenario is, you know, an AI that calls you on the phone and convinces you to do things. You know, it's, it's like, Mm. uh, I grew up watching war games and, you know, those kind of, uh, you know, uh, movies where Mm. you're, there's this very sort of dystopian angle. And like, uh, I'm not so worried about like the AI, like hacking into the computer. I'm worried more about the AI convincing people to do things. Mm. And so, um, I do think we need to, we, we do need to, uh, think about that. Um, on the other hand, I look at, um, what I've seen of AI and, uh, and the way in which it can empower people who uh, are not as strong communicators, um, Mm. who are, uh, learning how to well communication is really key so uh, the the gpt angle has been really interesting and which you know it can enable people um i'm really really excited about that and um and of course uh, i think that the outside risk is like and and sam altman talked about this you know they released the ai as gpt 3 and 4 as a way to sort of get people to understand you know, what the AI can do. And the, the risk is like, okay, maybe there's all these other things we can't imagine that the AI can do. And like, we're only scratching the surface, mm. but uh, I'm not smart enough to like, mm-hmm. to know, to know all of those things. Yeah. But you know, what I've, what I've seen has been, you know, certainly concerning, but also, I mean, I, I do even to this day still have like rose colored glasses around a lot of technology, you know, and I think there's a lot of, a lot of good it can do. Do the rose color glasses still exist for social media? You know, it's funny. My my uh, dissertation was on social media, and um, I spend my day blocking social media. But uh, there are things that social media is good for. And like what I studied was life transition. So when you're going through a, a change, you know, you're moving to a new town, or have you have a baby, or go through some sort of life transition, um, social media is extremely valuable. Uh, it, it basically gives you a sort of information network that is, that is vastly powerful, um, and you wouldn't have on a day to day. And so there still are a a lot of things that, um, social media, you know, is potentially good at, but I would, you know, also argue that like some of those wells have absolutely been poisoned. I mean, Facebook's well has been poisoned, um, you know, uh, but 
as I look at the future of social media, I still think there's a lot of opportunity. And, you know, instead of these sort of general purpose tools like the Facebooks and Twitters of the world, you probably will see more innovation around, uh, I mean, the life transition or certain types of like objects or certain types of interactions. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think I think there's still a lot of area for social media to be, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest, if like a new college, you know, a college social media, college social media pro, uh, platforms are like evergreen because they're constantly going through life transition. You know, there's a new yeah. batch of people going through life transition every, <laughs> every yeah. year. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, Facebook's well has been poisoned, but like there's there's still opportunity out there. Yeah, I'm quite curious to see. To see where things go, because traditionally, you know, and, and by the way, so my first podcast was a parenting podcast in 05. Mm -hmm. And uh, and my first tweet was putting my son to bed. <laughs> like, <laughs> I literally, that's what I wrote, putting Sam yeah. to bed um, in 07. And, but back then, like with the podcasts, I had a, a forum. And so our listeners would interact with, now the podcast was pre-Twitter, pre-social, really. I would have... Uh, you know, our listeners communicate through the forum with us and, and the comments a little on the blog too. And they would communicate with one another. Um, actually, even, <laughs> even going before that in 98, I lived in Ireland and I built like mm -hmm. a, a, a singles forum where people like kind of like a sightings type of thing. Like I spotted you at the pub, you were wearing a red dress and a hat mm -hmm. or whatever on Saturday night. And I created like a, a website for that. Um, I didn't even own a computer. I did it at a internet cafe. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went to the university and changed all the home screens in the labs to, to the website. And uh, two girls who were friends of mine and I handed out flyers. It was called Spotted Galway. Galway's a city. And so we would hand them out to people on the street. Have you been spotted? Have you been spotted? And they would go. Um, but <laughs> um, so, but, but I, I say all that because, I mean, social media was so good in what you're saying, like in, in the socializing aspect. Um, and... And now, it's, and, and my book, New Business Networking, is about that building relationships and find, you know, connecting with others, finding your people, uh, as Doug, Douglas Ruskoff always says, like find your people, um, connecting with folks online. But I find now, like now, as a let's say I'm a, a new parent and I and my my and my kiddo has diaper rash, I I am more likely to turn to ChatGPT. For mm -hmm. for a, 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 a prognosis or, or a recommendation, rather than Google, where I have to sift through ads and questionable content until I actually get to something organic, yep. or or asking on Twitter or social for fear of you know suddenly being inundated with ads for diaper rash for or whatever it is. So mm -hmm. I almost personally, I'm finding I'm spending way more time using ChatGPT to get the answers to things I'm looking for. Yep. Um, what what are your yeah what are your thoughts there what, like oh yeah um so yeah my thoughts on that are uh it is going to revolutionize search um mm. you know it's <laughs> uh it well it's going to re revolutionize search and it's going to re revolutionize voice interfaces mm. um you know asking a question is a, a very natural human interaction and uh, Google and uh, Alexa are, are bad at uh, finding answers because mm. um, they're trying to find documents rather than answers. Mm. And so um, I, too, 
have turned to GPT for uh, certain types of queries. Um, my favorite was uh, a friend of mine who's a pilot. Uh, he likes to post photos of the city he's in. Mm. And uh, I like to, you know, tra- travel a lot and I like to see if I can figure it out. Well, he posted one and uh, I couldn't figure it out. I was like, oh, I think I, I really thought it was like uh, um, Budapest, but uh, I wasn't 100% sure. So uh. I, I went to um, GPT and I described the photo and, you know, it it, uh, it figured it out. It was Brussels. So, um, wow. you know, it there, there are these uh, sort of next level abstractions that are more natural interactions for, for people. You know, we want, we want to get a question answered and GPT is good at that. GPT is also, you know, of course, like, um, uh, <laughs> like mm. some people confident, uh, even when they're wrong. So, you know, there's a whole set of <laughs> challenges around the answers that GPT gives you. But, um, from we, uh, in search research, we talk about like sense making from a sense making perspective, which is like, you know, just information in and trying to uh, reason about the world, like having a GPT as like part of that sense making makes sense. You can't rely on it completely, uh, but it, you can rely on it, you know, as a, as a source of information as you sort of assemble information. Um, yeah. And, and uh, I think like it's, it's absolutely going to revolutionize voice interfaces because um Really, the only thing useful to well, to a voice interface, other than like setting a timer, is uh, you know being able to answer ask a questions. And my kids, of course, love to ask Alexa questions. And Alexa, you know, uh, can't understand the question or gets it wrong like yeah seventy five percent of the time. Mm-hmm. And so I think you know you you just get a voice interface to GPT, and you're you're going to get uh, you're going to bring that error rate down. Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah, it should make uh, Thanksgiving dinner way more interesting too. I think in the future, as we uh, as we fact check uh, our questionable, you know, family members, <laughs> <laughs> much more real time. Yeah, right. Well, and, and honestly, like I, I became a Freedom customer in 2020, and I think I noodle. Mm-hmm. I think I used like your free product before yeah. that, but uh, 2020 was sort of it was kind of peak Trump. Plus, yeah. we have a pandemic kind of looming. Plus, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, police violence, uh, yeah. you know, and all the things. And then, in addition to to those things, my my uh, kid's school was uh, severely damaged in a tornado here in Nashville, and mm-hmm. and then our kid, and then our house was destroyed, like not destroyed, mm-hmm. but we were knocked yeah. out of our house for three months while we I had to deal with contractors and insurance claims. So it was like a very very stressful year, and I made some big changes during that year. I I started taking meditation and mindfulness uh, seriously, so I started doing a daily meditation practice. Uh, I, uh, I quit drinking for 30 days and it'll be three years next month. So, uh, I, I quit drinking and, um, and I started using freedom to block, uh, the news and to block social media. And, and, and instead, like what I found, which was so great is as I walked the dog or not walk, not walking, but like if I was standing somewhere out of mm-hmm. habit, I would fire up a social app or, you know, my mm-hmm. phone. And so trying to do that and being locked out, I'd say, oh yeah, right. So I would fire up my Kindle app and read mm-hmm. my book, read a book. Yep. Remember books? 
<laughs> it was so cool to like start reading books again. And I was reading way more uh, than I had in a long time. So uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, I do recommend folks check it out. Well, that's awesome to hear. I yeah. mean, that those those years were uh, there was. <laughs> I've called them sort of information crises because, mm -hmm. you know, the average person had to figure out how to navigate a pandemic, which was coming to kill you. Um, yeah, we had unrest. We had uh, this contested election. We had insurrections. You know, I mean, there was just there was so much destabilization of, you know, our sense of the world. And um, so people would turn to the Internet to like understand what's going on. And that became problematic because, and, you know, became problematic for like so many of us, uh, because yeah, like you can't, you're, you're not controlling the world. You're, but there is a never ending supply of information. And like, you know, you could just be in it all day long. And I was a hundred percent guilty of it during that time as yeah. well. And I used, I used freedom pretty heavily, uh, during those times because it was not going to get anything else d done otherwise. And right. we saw during that time, um, of course, like, yeah, the, the rise of doom scrolling and people putting on doom scrolling blocks. Uh, I mean, that was like the, the, one of the biggest drivers of our business and mm. then sleep, mm. you know, people would just not go to sleep because, Again, you have information coming, you have this like important information coming to you at all times. And you can basically justify like, oh, I should know the latest thing about this pandemic because it's basically life and death. Right. Yeah. And uh, they, so they wouldn't sleep. And so uh, we would we, we would, you know, see people, um, uh, you know, using freedom to sleep, which is like a use case we never actually imagined. But, you, uh. can, you know, certainly know like it's not great when you wake up in the middle of the night and you check your phone and um don't go back to sleep. And so, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was interesting to see, you know, this tool that we had basically, or I had basically just like only ever really thought of this use case of like helping people write their papers be, you know, <laughs> part of, um, part of the way they navigated a pandemic, which was, you know, um, uh, interesting. Yeah. Like providing mental health support. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, to an extent that that's definitely part of that. Um, before we uh, skip on to the lightning round, I, I did want to ask you a little bit. Now, selfishly, I am a keynote speaker, so and I absolutely love uh, presenting. It's one of my favorite things to do. So tell me a little bit about the Running Remote Conference, because uh, I saw that on your feed, and I was like, oh, man, I wish I, I had been there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, trust me, Dave, you wish you had been there. Man, what uh, a great conference. And there, it's going to be in Lisbon next year. Okay. So um, the, the Running Remote Conference um, showed up on my radar view. Chase Warrington, who's the um, head of remote over at Todoist, which is one of our partners. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, Chase was talking about how great it was. And uh, they, they had kind of rebooted it last year. And this was the first year that it was going to really sort of be a big, um, you know, event. And so uh, what it does is it brings together all the people who are doing um, uh, sort of remote who are, uh, I want to say thought leaders, but really doers like chief of remotes and head mm -hmm. of remotes and, you know, senior HR folks, uh, and, and also, uh, founders and people who are like building remote companies and, and bring them all together, uh, for a two day, well, it's really a three day conference. Um, and so, uh, it's hosted by, uh, uh, the guys from time doctor and, uh, mm. it was, it was just amazing. So, yeah. uh, yeah, you know, we went 
for a couple reasons. One is a number of our partners were there and it was great to see them. Um, also to learn about how these heads of remote think about, you know, tools like a freedom. And yeah. because they're in charge of the, the tool sets that people are implementing within their companies, we want to talk about that. And then also as a remote company, I wanted to sort of pick up, you know, what's the best practice out there. And, you know, it sort of hit the, the nail on the head for all three of those. Mm. And, and plus I had never been to Lisbon and the conference venue was just at this amazing, ridiculous, you know, place down, basically down on, uh, the water, mm. uh, the river, it's not really a riverfront. I don't know what it is. Kind of the, the, yeah. the it's, but it's not ocean. It's like the bay front, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, the weather is like, you know, uh, sunny and 75 with yes. uh, 40% humidity every single day. So and a pretty sweet deal for American uh, expats who want to move there because uh, uh, yeah, I yeah. have I have several friends who have uh, picked up their families and done just that. And I spent three weeks there a number of years ago with my family, just kind of doing a road trip between Spain yeah. and Portugal. And yeah, no, I love I love it there. Um, and uh, yeah, that's cool. Well, yeah, I, I I'm hoping uh, our paths will cross at a, at a conference one day soon. Um, cause yeah, we'd love to, love to meet up. Um, all right. So let's move on to the lightning round just to be mindful of time here. So complete this sentence. Nice guys and gals finish. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, I knew it's a lightning round. I've got to be quick. Nice guys and gals, uh, finish, finish the job. (laughs) Nice. What's a nice book that you recommend the nice makers listening? Check out. It's by Atul Gawande, who's the New York, New York, uh, um, New Yorker writer, surgeon. It's called the Checklist Manifesto, and so uh, that that book was like really influential in how I think about um, problem solving, data, and uh, and um, uh, it's just kind of an interesting way to organize life, which mm. has, has kind of stuck with me. I'll make sure to include a link here in the show notes. Uh, how is Fred nice to himself? Bike going on bike rides. Uh, yeah, like I, I'm, I'm a cyclist and um, if I uh, don't ride a bike, uh, I'm really not being nice to myself. And uh, so I need to make time to do that. What's your favorite city in the world to bike, to cycle? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, if you could go right now, pick up your bike, go somewhere, where would it be? Well, uh, I've, I've done this once before it was in the Dolomites in Italy. So, uh, yeah, like around Cortina and in the mountains there, I had a trip there that was absolutely spectacular. My wife and I in our backpacking days stayed there and we were at a hostel that was also a chef school. And so all the backpackers (laughs) got to eat like five-star incredible food for like nothing. And it was back. I mean, we're talking pre-Euro. So it was a while back. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a lovely. Oh man, yeah. yeah, that's a gorgeous, gorgeous part of the world. Um, uh, if you had a billboard, what would it say? If I had a billboard, what would it say? Um, it would say. Uh, <laughs> 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 Well, I think I'd pitch my business and I would, uh, but I just want people to know that turning off distractions does help you do better work. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, it's, that's the pitch. And drive safer. 
Yeah, true. Yeah, that too. I think we kill two birds with one stone. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a good it's a good one. Where do people find you? How do they how do they learn more about what you do? Cool. Yeah. Um I'm I'm in a couple of places which I update uh regularly, but uh freedom is uh I just Google freedom and we'll be the first thing that comes up, uh probably. Mm-hmm. Um uh and then I'm on Twitter at F Stutzman and LinkedIn F Stutzman and uh that's 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 kinda it these days. Cool. Well, thank you. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you and uh, keep up the great work. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show today. Would you do me a favor? Leave a review. The reviews help others discover the show and they mean a lot to me. So I would appreciate that. Did you know I am often hired as a keynote speaker for company retreats or for conferences? To find out more about that, you can visit DaveDelaneySpeaks.com. Music by Alistair Crystal at AlistairCrystal.ca. We'll see you next time. And be nice.